Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. This week, Mark and I celebrated our 38th wedding anniversary. A couple of photos going up there. You see we haven't changed a bit. Um, there's a photo of a dance... Um, we had it, at our, our wedding was like a concert, like a production. I had items, I had dance, I had dance, drama, communion, and a singing item. It went for an hour and fifteen minutes. If you didn't like me, if you love musicals, you would have loved my um, wedding. If you love musicals, come to my funeral. It'll be the same. But if you don't, I'd, I won't get offended if you don't come to my funeral. Hello, all those onliners. Hey, Haynes and Olds travelling around Australia. We miss you and uh, hope you're watching and having a great time around Oz. All right. Who loves family gatherings? Graham. Graham didn't put his hand up, Rosemary. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to say anything. Last Saturday, my extended family gathered on the Central Coast and the expected phone call came from my mum. Hey, Roz, don't forget, don't talk about Trump. Scott Morrison, climate change, politics or guns. With my family, those families are kind, those topics are off, um, off the table. They're awkward and they have been known to cause tension. And don't pretend your family is perfect. I know you would have a list of topics. Anyway, my family gatherings are really like Romans 13 and 14. They are awkward. Romans and 13 and 14 are awkward and uncomfortable. And, uh, but th- these chapters aren't for the faint-hearted. But Christianity isn't for the faint-hearted. So strap yourselves in, Shaz, you could have almost preached my message. Okay, so in chapters 1 to 11 in Romans, Paul has explained the gospel that we are justified by faith, not by any of our works. We're made right with God because of what Christ did on the cross. In chapter 12, um, Paul takes us into this, encouraging us to love one another, love the world, love our friends and enemies. In chapter 13, Paul turns to the wider question and how to live and the attitude we should have to our government. And then chapter 14, he talks to the Roman church about an issue they are having in their church. Yes, a church with an issue. Uh, Show me a church without a problem and I'll say that you're showing me heaven. Um, All right, so chapter 13, let's kick it off. Ready? Ready. Let everyone, except for Rosaire, be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. I looked up other versions. I looked up other commentators, Greek words. I tried for you, but I couldn't see a version that let us off the hook. How does God work? How does God govern? He works through delegated authority. He always has 
and he always will and you don't get a say in it and either do I. We can't escape being under authority while on the earth. When does authority start? When we're born into our family, with our parents. It goes into when we're kids, school, uni, boss, road rules, marriage. We are always under some authority. And how you come under authority is one of the biggest tests that you will face. All humans struggle with this test. It starts when they're one, doesn't it? No. You only know if you have passed the test when the authority over you disagrees with you or tells you something that you don't want to do. 100K an hour, I have no problem with authority, but 40K an hour, I do have a problem with authority. The scripture is clear. If I can't come under authority, God won't entrust me with spiritual authority. When we pass the test and tests, because they go for the rest of our lives, we have developed humility. Coming under authority breaks us. It humbles us. And then he is safe to give us authority because he knows we will lead with love and wanting to serve others. Our heart is surrendered. Um, how we come under authority shows how surrendered our heart is to God. Why? Because God works through delegated authority. Paul gives three reasons for these statements. First, he explains governments in general are instituted by God, therefore deserve respect and submission. In Daniel 4.17, it says that God rules over all human governments and gives them to anyone he wishes. I don't understand it all, but that's what it says. In other words, we may question who our leaders are, but God has a providential plan. He's got a sovereign design that is bigger than my world and he's in control of history and you and I aren't. Second, Paul says to submit because it is wise. He says that God designed human society in that way. Romans 13, 4. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servant. Agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. When I was 18, and not a Christian, I might add, there was a group of teenagers and we would go up to Beecroft Road. Beecroft Road was a busy road. It was four lanes and there were T intersections going from one side of Beecroft to the other. And we would park in our car and wait till Beecroft Road was clear and the guy would put his foot on the pedal and go as fast as he can over the four lines, four lanes of highway to the other T intersection. It was called Russian roulette. <laughs> and we didn't die, obviously, and we didn't get caught by the police. But um, that's why we have the authorities, so that Rosin's there, people who are 18 like me, can punish us if, they get, if we get caught. God's plan is that only some people bear the sword. We cannot all bear the sword. We need governments to hold people like me to account. Without law and order, without the threat of punishment, our society would be a mess. And if we all took up the sword, it would be chaos. God has given the government 
the, the role to bear the sword. The third reason, Romans 13 says this in verse 6, this is also why you pay taxes for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, revenue. If respect, respect. If honour, honour. Paul is saying that governing is hard work. It is hard work because it's responsibility. And they carry a responsibility. Um, none of us here want to be a politician. Who would have wanted to be a politician in the last two years? It's harder and it's getting harder. They are imperfect people who frequently get death threats. You know, when my dad was the commissioner of forests, he worked with Neville Rand back in the 70s and 80s, and um, he got death threats. My own dad got death threats. And I've got to tell you, it's not fun for a family when their parents get death threats. Governments do their part ruling. We do our part submitting. Now, at first, Paul seems to say that it's absolute. So I know you're all sitting there thinking, well, what, what happened if it's Putin or it's Hitler or something like that? What if the government tells us to do something that goes against what God says? I know you've all been waiting for me to say this. Um, was Paul saying that it was absolute? Well, he gives us a couple of hints as to why it's not absolute. Um, Verse 7 is the first hint. Give everyone what you owe him, including taxes, revenue and respect. So this is a clear echo of Jesus' words in Matthew 20. Remember when he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar and to give to God what is God's. Jesus was saying that the civil leader has a limited sphere of authority. Um, and this was a new theology because in the New Testament, they thought that Caesar or the Sanhedrin was like God. And Jesus is saying, no, they're not God. Give your taxes to Caesar, but give worship to God. And this was very important when the, for the early church, and they had to figure it out, and they had to sort it out, and they were persecuted because of it. But remember in Acts 5.29, when the Jewish authorities told Peter not to preach the gospel, and he says to the Sanhedrin, I can't obey you. I have to obey Christ and he kept preaching. The second hint Paul gives is in verse 3. It says this, Then do what is right and you will be commended, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. And now and again, the authority doesn't do what is for our good. Remember Corrie ten Boom, family living in Holland and the Nazi Germany, German government at the time were wiping out all the Jews and they said you weren't allowed to hide Jews. But many of the Christians, and many of them sent to concentration camps because of it, hid and protected the Jews. They disobeyed the government and they obeyed God because they sensed that what the government was doing, they weren't being God's servants and they weren't doing good. So in summary, we obey and respect our government. They are put there by God and we don't do it begrudgingly. And I have many times done it begrudgingly, I'll be honest. We can, because we're doing it unto God. We can speak up respectfully. Don't whinge if you don't take action. I've often written letters and emails to our governments. I always do it respectfully. You can go peacefully in protest marches. You can pray and you can vote. 
But if the government are, and if the government asks us to do something that is against God's law, not against our own preference, not that I, I, I like driving fast, that's my own preference, but I come under their authority most of the time. Um, but if they ask us to do something that is against God's law, we can choose to disobey and obey God. But remember, it might cost you your life. Paul finishes chapter 13 talking about paying the debt of loving one another. Then we go arrive at at Romans 14, the church issue. So now it's put to the test. And that's what Christianity is about. It's not about worshipping on God on a Sunday. I love worshipping God on a Sunday. It's not how many Bible verses we know or how many podcasts we listen to. Transformation is really seen in how we respond and live with one another. And that's what the world is looking at. They don't care how we worship. They don't care what we know. They're watching how we relate and connect to them and to each other. Romans 14 says this, Except the one whose faith is weak. Without quarrelling over disputable matters, one person's faith allows them to eat anything. But another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant to their own master's servant stand or fall? And they will stand. For the Lord is able to make them stand. What is the problem? Well, the Roman church is fighting over disputable matters and judging one another. A spirit of rejection instead of acceptance, has come into the church. And that happens in churches and it is a dangerous thing. And Paul is ticked off because some of the church cannot distinguish between non-negotiables, matters of principle, matters, essential things like Shaz was talking about, and individual preference. In fact, he is saying that if we make a doctrine out of your individual preference that you like to wear yellow shirts... Patty, sorry, I pick on you. He said, if you make a doctrine out of your own taste or your own tradition or your own culture or what you've learnt growing up, he said, you are actually weak in the faith. It weakens your faith. The Greek word for disputable is dialogismoi, which means matters of conscience. Matters of conscience are situations and things which God has not specifically spoken in his word. He has not clearly forbidden or not clearly commanded it. In Rome, the the church, the dispute mainly had to do with eating. Some would eat everything and some would eat only vegetables. They were bringing from the Old Testament law some of the rules and regulations of being acceptable by God and they were hanging on to it. They hadn't unlearnt the Old Testament rules. But there were other differences of opinion, of course, because they're the church. Some felt they had to observe certain days as holy. Some believed certain foods were unclean. And drinking wine had also become an issue. Paul wants to bring correction. He says this, I want to get your eyes off the disputable matters and get them onto Christ. In verse 3, he says this, The person who does not eat everything, the vegetable eater, must not judge the person who eats meat, who is freer. Paul is saying, don't do this. It is weakening you. It is weakening your faith. You are losing the focus of the gospel. We are accepted by God because we eat meat, because we drink wine, 
because we keep certain days as holy? No. He's saying we are, he said, read the last one to verse 11 chapters, 11 chapters. We're accepted in Christ because of what he has done for us. And you can't earn it. So he's saying, stop striving. Or if you do strive, don't judge others. And he's saying, if you do strive, if you are striving, and you have got legalism on you, and we've all probably got a bit, he said it actually weakens your faith. He said you're weaker in the faith. Paul is saying, if you're still fervently trying to please Christ, you are weaker in the faith. You have not worked out the meaning of the gospel. If you are saved by grace alone, it's by grace alone. Tim Keller says this, they have taken an issue of taste, custom or culture and have elevated it to an abiding cultural mark of spiritual maturity. Paul goes on to tell the strong and those who eat everything, you shouldn't be feeling superior to the weak and thinking, well, they're so simple and narrow-minded. Look, they're only eating vegetables. I can eat everything. Paul says, on the one side, the person who does not eat everything the weaker in the faith, will tend to judge the person who does eat everything and the meat eater will feel prideful and superior to the vegetable eater. Now, I'm not saying that if you had a steak last night, you're sitting here being very proud. And if you're a vegetarian, that you'll be judging um, people who do eat meat. The problem was that they had taken this into their theology, um, taken it into their theology and it, and it affected their attitudes toward others. So I want to say this. Last year, we saw this happen. You can all stay quiet for this bit. <laughs> Some people thought that the vaccine was an indisputable matter. But it's a disputable matter. It's a personal preference. It's not a biblical doctrine. And none of us are going to get to heaven because we're vaccinated or not vaccinated. Let me go on. Some who took the vaccine felt superior to those who didn't. Some who didn't get the vaccine judged those who did. Not in this church, of course, but other churches. Let me tell you, say this. The enemy wants to divide Christ's church and he is crafty. He doesn't use indisputable matters. He's never going to divide the church on the doctrine that Jesus was the son of God. He's going to divide the church using disputable matters, like the vaccine, because that's what stirs us up. That's what we have personal opinion about. And when we have personal opinion, it can create pride and judgment, and that's what divides a church. And we are seeing that in America right now. Left and right are dividing the church, and left and right are actually disputable matters. How do I know that? Because you don't get into heaven by voting liberal or labour. There's going to be both in heaven. And if that's um, bad news to you, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, Paul goes on in the next part of the chapter. He addresses the weak and then he addresses the strong. He says to the weak in Romans 14, one person considers one day more sacred than another, another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. So what he's saying to the weak, so what he's saying to those who have bought Old Testament customs or legalism or or thinking a lot about disputable matters, he's saying this to the church. He said, think it through. 
He said, God's given us a brain. We've got a sound mind. So he say, says, think it through. And that's why Mark says, even from this platform, think through everything we say. Don't just follow people blindly. Go to the scripture. The scripture is the authority of God. It's the prophetic word of God. So go to the scripture. Think it through. You might be wrong. It might say that we can eat everything. And actually, Paul says nothing is unclean of itself. He's saying nothing material is unclean. Money isn't unclean. Sex isn't unclean. It's just taking it out of God's order and what happens and the idols in our heart. And then he talks to the strong in Romans 14. He says, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or a sister. This scripture actually really annoys me. <laughs> I don't know why it annoys me. I just think if you're free and someone else has got an issue, why do you have to, why do you have to not drink wine if you go out with someone for dinner and they don't drink wine? Actually, that's sometimes what I think. But this scripture is saying if we're mature, and we love our brother and sister, and they are sincere in their belief, and they're living according to their conscience, why would we want to grieve them? We owe a debt to love one another. Think about that before you post on social media. Will this grieve a brother or sister that is reading social media? Will this divide or build up? That is what maturity is about. Paul goes on in Romans 14, 17. I love this scripture. He says, I want to tell the weak and the strong to what really matters. For the kingdom of God, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking or the vaccine or disputable matters or what you vote, but of righteousness, of being right with God because of his sacrifice, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So don't overthink. I know we've all got our personal preferences. And exactly like Chess, you've all got different personalities. Some of you like having um, robust conversations. Um, some of you, I don't know. I'm going to tell you what Paul thinks in a minute. Um, but don't overthink. Um, don't let the enemy distract you, take you down a rabbit trail. That is what has happened in the last couple of years. And it is sad. And let me tell you, some people aren't in church anymore because they got so embroiled in a disputable matter. Paul finishes with this bit of advice, Romans 14, 22. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Proverbs 18.2 says this. Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. I'm going to ask the musos to come up. This is a great scripture. Very challenging scripture in Proverbs. So what is Paul saying? He's saying, I want you to be mature. He said, if you've got a matter of conscience and it's a disputable matter and you've thought it through, keep it to yourself. You don't have to wear a T-shirt. He said, why post it on social media? Let me tell you, if you post all the disputable matters on social media, I'll tell you what the data says. 
You don't change anyone's opinion. It's like hot air <laughs> going out. They, all the data says it doesn't change anybody's opinion. However, it can change people's opinion of you. If people ask you for opinion, give your opinion. And that's where we can have a great conversation, Ian. Can't. What do you think of Trump and blah, blah, blah. But it's, we've got a good trusting relationship. <clears throat> and evaluate. He's saying also evaluate. But maturity and transformation comes with knowing how to keep the unity and the peace of the faith with one another and knowing what to do with disputable matters. And um, that's why I love those two chapters. They're really practical. And none of us live up to those chapters. I found them really challenging too. But that's okay. That's what the Word of God does because we're growing and we're being transformed and there's a little bit of transformation happening t today a little bit perhaps more of surrendering surrendering a little less judgment perhaps you might go out and you might be a vegetarian you might decide to go out and eat some meat i respect the vegetarians by the way <clears throat> we are going to sing a song <clears throat> it's called creating me a clean heart I wanted to finish with a repentance moment. We don't often repent. But let, tell me you let me tell you this. Repentance is actually really important. You know, the Holy Spirit spoke to me the other day. You know, when Moses was in the burning bush. Sorry, Moses wasn't in the burning bush. Wrong theology. Moses came in the burning bush and God was speaking to Moses out of the burning bush. And one of the first things God said was, take off your shoes. Take off your shoes and come closer. And for me, that was saying, Roz, get right with me because I want to take you into the new season and I don't want you to take any of the old. Nothing should smell of the old. No resentment, no bitterness, no issues into the new season. And that's what John the Baptist did. Remember preparing the way for Christ? He got people to be baptised, repented. He said, Christ is coming. You know, if we want revival... It's got to happen in our own hearts. So I want you to stand. I've asked the musos, we're going to sing this song. And I want you to search your heart. The other day, Dan did a beautiful repentance moment in the 5 p.m. And he challenged us about the fathers of the faith. He said, if you've got a father of the faith that you're disappointed with, because there's been lots of issues, hasn't there? And you need to forgive you need to forgive. And I sat there and the Holy Spirit said, you need to forgive some of your fathers in the faith because they disappointed you. But I want to take you into a new season, Roz, of being a spiritual mother. And how can you go into that season if you're not prepared to forgive? So some of the stuff I've talked about today, I want you to check your heart. You might not want to sing. You might just want to listen. But I want you to say, God created me a clean heart and restore the joy of salvation. And let him search your heart and ask forgiveness. Thanks.
church let make this your prayer this morning It's not about us, it's about you and Lord Jesus. You went all the way to the cross. So take the fear out of us. Soften our hearts, Lord. Father, we ask you to forgive us. Jesus, like you taught us in an incredible prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Father, I speak over this church that it'll be righteousness and peace and joy. And Father, whatever's happened in the last two years, we're not going to take it into the new season. So we ask you to forgive us. Father, give us a surrendered heart. You're looking for a people with a surrendered heart to go into the future. A church that is like you, Jesus, that surrendered all, that said, not my will, but your will be done. Make it so, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, make it so. And if you've never received Jesus Christ into your life, I want to give you an opportunity. Today's your day. Why would you put it off while every eye is closed? Put your hand up. You say, Ros, I want to receive Jesus Christ into my life. Put your hand up so I can pray. Is there anyone this morning? You say, that's me, Ros. Anyone. I want to pray for you. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.